Hey everybody, welcome back to the Jano Splash Podcast. This is your host, Jared Woodcox, and uh, really have a heck of a show in store for you guys today. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, if you'll recall, a couple weeks back, I had uh, Christian Dudley, um, a Memphis Grizzlies expert, on to talk about Mike Conley and Jeff Green. I'm uh, going to do something a little bit similar today, um, but this time I have Derek Kramer of iPacers.com joining me to talk about Boyan Bogdanovich, obviously a former Pacer, uh, the team which Derek follows and knows extensively. So really excited about the conversation um, that him and I are going to have today, uh, like I said, about Boyan Bogdanovich. That's going to take up all of point number one. And then Derek's going to stay on with me. We're going to talk about two other things that are going to be really exciting. Exciting. First of all, I'm going to finally fulfill something I've been promising you guys for a long time. Um, I already talked about my Western Conference predictions here on the show. Today I'm going to have Derek help me and we're going to actually talk about our Eastern Conference predictions uh, for 2019-20 and really compare and contrast there. And then lastly for point three, uh, Derek and I are going to talk a little bit about uh, Team USA and how they've looked in FIBA play so far. Uh, probably give some of our thoughts about the FIBA World Cup as a whole, uh, but focusing mainly on Team USA, obviously with Donovan Mitchell and, and then Miles Turner for the Pacers there. Uh, we're both going to have some pretty fun and unique insight to give you there. So um, that's the agenda for today. Before we dive into the actual show, though, um, I just want to give everyone that listens a, a huge thank you and let you guys know that I really appreciate um, you tuning into the show. I've gotten quite a few messages lately on, on Twitter and other things, and I just want you to know it really inspires me and makes me want to keep going. Um, I love to hear the positive feedback. And if you guys ever have any issues or questions, I want to hear those too. Um, but I've seen a few other podcasts do this, and I wanted to do it as well. wanted to give just a couple shout-outs to some people that have uh, given me a five-star rating on iTunes. I really appreciate that. Uh, one new one I saw recently was Wink 10 called the show a must-listen for jazz fans. Really appreciate that. I hope that others feel that way as well. Another one that just surfaced was from uh, Vanilla Thunderman, called it a gem of a podcast. Sounds like he's been looking around for one and had some really good things to say. I appreciate you, Vanilla Thunderman. I uh, hope you'll continue listening. Then I also have to point out another one from uh, Margaret Irene. Uh, looks like she gave me a four-star rating. I appreciate that motivation, Margaret, to get better. Um, you mentioned maybe giving me five stars down the road. I hope I can earn that from you. But anyway, I want to thank all you listeners. Give those few shout-outs, and I'll be watching those iTunes reviews if anybody else feels like giving me five stars there. Um, I'd love to see that and would love to shout you out here on the show. But anyway, without further ado, let's get into the good stuff. I'll welcome Derek Kramer on, and we'll get talking about Boyan Bogdanovich. Point one. All right, now it's uh, my pleasure. I want to be sure to introduce over the phone uh, Derek Kramer, who's going to be joining us for the episode today. Derek Kramer is of iPacers.com. Derek, how's it going for you today? Pretty good. How are you doing? Good. Uh, I'm, I'm getting really anxious for the NBA to start. I don't know about you. <laughs> yeah, I'm watching the football games, but... Yeah, I like basketball a lot more. Yeah, for sure. I feel like football is is great. It's, it kind of just helps us get through that that final stretch, but definitely missing some basketball. Yep. Hey, so real quick for all of our listeners out there, I wanted to definitely um, you know let them know that pretty cool accomplishment for Derek. He just accomplished. Uh, it's the it was the fourth year anniversary of iPacers.com not long ago. So congrats on that, Derek. And I'm just glad to see the site's doing so well. I appreciate it. Yeah, we always. Uh, Slowly but surely growing over the last four years. That's awesome, and um, I know that I know that most of our listeners are, are Jazz fans. But anyone that's interested in keeping up with the Pacers, definitely be sure to check out iPacers.com. A lot of really good stuff over there. And obviously, I've brought Derek onto the show today because the Jazz acquired um, a, a pretty well for the Jazz, especially a really big name uh, that used to play for the Pacers um, in Boyan Bogdanovich. So, really wanted to pick Derek's brain and get his thoughts on um, Boyan joining the team. So I guess, Derek, the first question I have for you is just, you know, in a nutshell, uh, what are the Jazz getting in Boyan Bogdanovich? 
You know, I think the, the biggest thing that they're getting is a guy that's going to make shots. So it seemed like last year in the playoff series, like a lot of their role guys struggled to make shots. But I think Boyan's going to solve a lot of that issue. Um, you know, he has a surprising off-the-bounce game where he can score in many different ways. Uh, you don't really expect that from him. He's more than just a spot-up shooter. Um, but that's his primary thing. He's going to put the ball in the basket. For sure, and I think you hit the nail on the head that, I mean, if you watch that Jazz-Houston series last year, I mean, for the most part, even though it was a little bit, you know, criticized, the Jazz defense was pretty good, especially in the later three games, but the fact of the matter was they couldn't hit an open shot to save their lives, so I think adding bogey, that's exactly what it's going to help them out with. Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, along those lines, you know, one thing that stood out to me, I think you're aware of this, Derek, uh, that, you know, obviously the Jazz are my number one, but my close number two is the Pacers, so I watch a lot of them as well. And it just seemed to me like Boyan was really well respected in the Pacers locker, locker room, even though he might be a little more reserved than most, um, especially comparing him to some of the really outgoing kind of jokesters the Jazz have in their locker room. Uh, but can you speak a little bit to him as like a teammate and a locker room presence and, and a leader? Yeah, um, no, yeah, I think he's definitely well respected by his teammates i think he started off with the pacers kind of like much more reserved and i think he kind of takes a little while to like open up because i can remember people like you talked about like the jazz have a lot of jokesters like by the the end of that second season like they were all the his teammates with the pacers were all talking about how funny he was and like how they're surprised by that so i think it just like it takes him some time to get used to people and then he starts to open up and you can see that and even in his interviews with uh, the Pacers sideline guy Jeremiah Johnson like he would start joking around with him and but yeah he's definitely well respected in the locker room um, I think he works harder he's going to work harder than anybody but I think that's probably where he gets all his respect from I don't know if he's more of a doesn't really lead by vocal but he's like a, he'll, he'll lead by example that's cool. And, you know, the Jazz have been known as, you know, I feel like kind of similar to the Pacers of just having like a likable locker room and a team that likes each other. And it feels like to me that Boyan's going to fit in with that just perfectly. He's going to be a great fit in that regard. Yeah, I agree. He'll, he'll fit in that culture. I definitely, like, there seems like there's always been similarities with the Jazz and the Pacers. Like, the Jazz have had so many guys from Indiana and then, like, their team's built on defense. But yeah, I think, and the cultures do seem really similar right now, too. Yeah, it's so weird. And it's like you feel like you always have those same discussions of, you know, like smaller markets and, and trouble with free agents sometimes. And, and like you say, culture and just so many things and, and uh, similar players playing for both teams. It's kind of interesting to see all those ways they've been similar over the years. Um, one thing you you touched on too, Derek, that um, I don't know if you heard, um, but it was, um, I guess, a couple months ago now, but Scott Agnes of The Athletic actually came on to one of the local stations here in Salt Lake City, and he spoke about what you just mentioned, that um, Boyan is like, a, he's an unrelenting worker, and he's going to outwork everybody, and that's exactly the type of player that jazz fans like to see, so it's good to hear you echo that as well. Yeah, I think jazz fans are really going to like Bogey. Yeah. Going, you're kind of shifting gears a little bit. You know, I feel like one of the maybe concerns Jazz fans have had about Bogdanovich is on defense. I think some of that is an unfamiliarity with him, but some of it may be justified. I'm curious what your thoughts are overall as as far as Bogdanovich the defender. Uh, I mean, the big thing is that he tries, and in the NBA, like that'll get you by. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, he's not a great defender. But he also didn't stop the Pacers from having a great team defense. So I think he's he's a good 
system team defender, but he's not like a individual shutdown guy by any means at all. Right. But he's not gonna he's not gonna hurt the Jazz defensively much. They're still gonna be a very 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 good defensive team. Right, and I feel like it's gonna be a comfortable system for him too, because just like before when he had Miles Turner to back him up, now he has Rudy Gobert to back him up. And so to your point, Derek, as long as he can be an effective team defender, he's still going to be in a system where it's it's built to be strong defensively, even if he has some shortcomings. Right. Yeah. That's cool. And um, we've heard a lot about, and and I think a lot of us that watched the playoffs that year, we saw it about how he, you know, he really matched up pretty reasonably well against LeBron James uh, back in 2018. Um, and so I think he's shown some things where not only does he try hard, but he's, he's going to, you know, obviously get into people as much as he can. He's going to give as hard of a time as he possibly can. Right, yeah, I think in when he was in Washington, and like I think that was half the year he was in, with Brooklyn. Like he had one of the worst uh, defensive real plus minus. Like I think the worst small forward in the league. Wow. So like I expected terrible things from him when he came to Indiana, but it was yeah he performed well above those expectations, and I think he's more of an average defender now, which is more than you could more than I would have hoped for at the beginning. Yeah, a big step up, and I, I feel like I recall something along the lines of, like, Nate McMillan pretty much told him, like, he'd have to focus on it, and then obviously when uh, Bogey was introduced uh, to the Jazz, uh, Dennis Lindsay um, in our front office, you know, he mentioned the same thing, that, hey, you know, Boganovich knows that defense is a priority, and I personally am not worried about it. I, I just think there are some Jazz fans that are, but hopefully when they hear both of these things we're saying, they'll, they'll calm down a little bit. Yeah, I wouldn't be worried about it affecting the overall team defense at all and he's not going to have to guard LeBron right. like he did with the Pacers the Pacers just didn't have any other options to do that yep yeah that makes a ton of sense um along those lines um I guess what would you say are some areas um whether defense is included or whether it's other things but what are some areas of Bogdanovich's game that you think need work and do you see him like continuing to improve at age 30 or do you think he's kind of plateaued where he's at um, as far as improvements where you would hope to see, uh, his passing is not great. Uh, he's not a great guy. So, like, he when he dribbles the ball, it's almost a sure thing he's going to end up shooting it. Right. Uh, I think he's ranked, I want to say, the top 10 in terms of, like, percentage of drives that end in him shooting the ball. Um, I want to I, I haven't looked it up for a little while, but I think it's, t- like, 25% of his drives ended in a pass, which is... Um, like among those league leaders for lowest percentage, wow. the end in a end in a pass. Um, you just can't expect him to make a whole lot of plays for others. Um, as far as him plateauing, uh, I think that's probably part of the reason the Pacers didn't want to give him that fourth year guaranteed in the contract. Yeah, is that they think like this is probably his peak, and he might only slightly go down from here. Uh, I don't know if he will or not. I mean, he works so hard that he could either, like, he's worked so hard that he might deteriorate faster, or maybe he'll just keep it up because he works so hard. It's, I'm not really sure. Right. I don't, I don't think he'll get much better than where he's at, but I, I think he'll probably stay where he's at, at least through this contract. For sure, and that's that's always got to be what the what the Jazz are banking on. I mean, I think the Jazz and the Pacers have this as well. But I think the Jazz have a pretty good reputation for developing players. And like we saw someone like Joe Ingles, who came in a little bit older, and he definitely has gotten a ton better since he entered the league. 
Um, but I mean, Bogdanovich is older now than Ingles was then. And, and I think one of the big things with Bogdanovich is, you know, the Jazz kind of know what they're getting with him, um, which is a good thing because he brings a lot of solid things. And I agree with you, Derek, that hopefully just his work ethic will allow him for these next four years to stay at that level. And I, I think that's what the Jazz are really banking on. Yeah. And he's always had like, he's not relying on a ton of athleticism to, to do what he does. So I think that's going to help him as he gets into his thirties as well. Yeah, I mean, as long as he can still hit threes at a forty-plus percent clip, like he has the past two seasons, like that's gonna be that's gonna keep him in the league a long time. Yep. So um, maybe this is something you've already talked about, but I guess if you could pick one thing that Jazz fans should be most excited about as it relates to Bogdanovich, what would be that one thing you'd choose? I think the one thing definitely for Jazz fans I would think would be the three-point shooting, but that's like that's expected, right? Um, Past that, I'm not really sure. I think the, I guess off the court, his clothing choices are very <laughs> interesting. He has some very interesting post game clothes on sometimes. So it's not like Russell Westbrook or anything. But those are just that's just something to look forward to. I guess that's awesome. That's hilarious. I, I feel like, and you said this right off the bat, but I think Jazz is just going to enjoy him. Like he's such a unique personality, and he's definitely different than anybody else they have on the roster right now. Um, extremely likable, but just I think there's a ton of things that Jazz fans are going to love following him about. Yeah, I think having him, like I said, like he seemed more reserved when he first got to Indiana. Like I think having him for four years will be will be fun to see how he kind of opens up being there for a while. Yeah, for sure. I guess I, I know this wasn't um, exactly on our agenda, Derek, but one just quick question I have for you I'm, I'm curious about. What were your thoughts about Indiana losing Bogdanovich? Like, I, I definitely see the reason why they maybe obviously didn't want to give him that fourth year and whatnot. But I'm curious what your impressions were about losing Bogdanovich for next year. Um, and I liked Bogey. I think I'm a, because of the moves that they made, I'm all right with it. Right. It's, I think the most interesting thing about the whole process is, is that if Miritich wouldn't have went to Spain, then he might have went to the Jazz because that was like their rumored top target. Like nobody was talking about Bogdanovich until uh, Miritich decided to leave and then all of a sudden the Jazz were interested in him. And then like the Pacers were going to get Rubio if they if they re-signed yeah. Bogdanovich and like just everything, all because of one guy going to Spain, like the whole Pacers offseason changed. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll miss Bogey, but I'm not, I'm not exactly disappointed that he's gone because of the moves that they've made. Gotcha. It feels like to me, like, say that Bogdanovich would have left and then and the, or would have gone to the Jazz and the Pacers would have had a kind of a dry off season. It probably would have stung more. Um, but really, the, the Pacers obviously did pretty well for themselves with some of their additions. So it sounds like that kind of in your mind makes up for that that loss. Yeah, and I think they got, they got younger. They have a team that will really grow together, which I'm excited about. Yeah. And, like, everybody's on the same timeline. So it worked out for the best for both parties, I think. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And personally, I mean, I, I really do trust the Jazz for an office, but I was, I'm was i not a big Miritich fan, to be quite frank with you, and so I was stoked beyond reason when I heard that we were going to get Bogdanovich instead of Miritich. So that was good news for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think uh, one thing I guess we haven't talked about with Bogey is uh, – like I think he'll be in a much better role with the Jazz than he right. was at the end of his time with the Pacers because he was like all of a sudden the number one scoring option and they expected him to like score out of the pick and roll and all these things that he's not great at. So I'm excited to see him more of in his like tertiary scoring role where he's the third or fourth option and can just make open shots. 
I think he's really going to excel at that. He might not have, he's not going to average as many points, but his efficiency might go up. Yeah, that that's true. And you know, speaking of of him there with his role with the Jazz and with their roster, um, do you think that he should be used more as a, as a three, like a small forward, or more as a four, as like a small ball power forward? Um, I think he like almost exclusively played the three with the Pacers. Right. Very rarely did they go to the four. The problem uh, with him at the four is that he can't rebound. Okay. So. Like the lineups with him at the four, I don't have any stats to back this up, but they it feels like they were not like the Pacers already had issues with rebounding anyway. Right. But those those lineups would probably struggle more with that in those scenarios. He's more of a three, I think, on both sides. Okay. Yeah, that that makes sense, and that's that's obviously a lot of the sentiment here as well is that most likely Ingles is going to get moved to a bench role. And someone like Royce O'Neal or, or maybe even Jeff Green is going to slide to the four and start at the power forward spot to allow Bogey to, to start his more comfortable three spot. Uh, but it's definitely going to be something interesting to watch, especially because, like, for years the Jazz have had Favors and Gobert. So with those two, they've been a really good rebounding team. Um, obviously, we had to get rid of Favors to add Bogey. Um, it's going to be kind of strange to see how the Jazz's rebounding is. And, and Bogey's obviously used to having, you know, both a, um, Thad and, and Turner or Thad and Sabonis or a combination of those three. Um, so seeing him on maybe a more small team might be a little bit interesting to see how that turns out. Yeah, that will be that will be interesting. That's, I like it's interesting to me what you said about Ingles. My, I thought that maybe that he could play more of a small ball for, but I haven't watched as much of the Jazz. Right. It's like I kind of thought maybe that Ingles and Bogey are on the floor at the same time, and depending on the matchup, one could take the three or one could take the four. And I think we'll definitely see some of that. I think a lot of people have talked about how the closing lineup for the Jazz, regardless of who starts at the four, the closing lineup is going to have, you know, Conley, Mitchell, and then Ingles and Boyan kind of switching positions there, and then obviously Gobert at the five. Um, but it's it's interesting because a lot of the speculation is that that's not going to be the starting group, but it, it could change. We'll, we'll see. I'm really intrigued to see how the Jazz handle their new lineup for sure. Definitely will be. Yeah. Many, one of many things that will be very fun about this NBA season. Yeah, no kidding. Um, well, with that said, I just have one last question for you before we move on to our next segment. Um, but I'm just curious from, from, you know, like an outside of the Jazz perspective, um, with the addition of Bogdanovich along with the other, you know, roster changes the Jazz made, what's your prediction for them in 2019-20? Uh, and I think they're one of like six teams in the West that could legitimately win the title. Yeah. Which is, I think that's, I don't think that's too unrealistic that they could possibly do that. Everything comes together, right? Right. Um, I don't think they're the top favorite, but I think second round is like that feels like the like where they should at least get. Yeah, I think that's a reasonable expectation to at least make it to that and be competitive in that round. Yeah, I am with you 100, percent Derek. Like, and you phrased it perfectly. Like, I don't think they're the top favorite, but I think they can be considered a championship contender at least knowing what we know now. Um, I personally have them probably third in the West is my prediction. Um, I feel like the wheels coming off would be, you know, a first round upset or first round exit. Um, realistically, what could happen could be second or, or conference finals. And then obviously the ultimate ceiling would be a championship. But it's nice to know they're actually capable of that this year. And you're not crazy for just thinking that. <laughs> right. Yeah. But Yeah, I'm excited to see how they do. I think it'll be, it'll be really interesting how that West develops. Yeah. I think just in, in general, the NBA has me really thrilled for next year because – 
It's just a lot of intrigue, a lot of balance. It's, it's hard to say who's going to come out of either conference, and it's going to be great to see how that all unfolds. Yeah, definitely way more wide open than it has been in the last um, decade. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, that's actually a perfect segue um, onto our second segment here. We're going to actually talk about the, the Eastern Conference and try to make sense of where we think the different teams are going to land there. Uh, so let's move on now to our second point where we'll dive into those Eastern Conference predictions. Point two. All right, so I know a couple weeks back, for listeners out there, we went through um, you know the Western Conference predictions, and obviously the Western Conference is exciting. Today, um, with Derek on the phone with me still, we want to go through the Eastern Conference predictions and, and really try to make some sense of what I think is, is a complicated Eastern Conference this year. And uh, you know, Derek, before I, I go through my predictions and your thoughts on them, I just got to say I'm having like a really hard time with the East this year because I feel like there were a lot of changes, um, but a lot of them made things like really hard to predict. Like, yes, the Raptors lost Kawhi, um, and they were pretty good without him, but how good were they really? And, you know, you had the Celtics that were kind of a mess last year. Uh, but, the, you know, now that they have Kemba, like, how much is that going to improve them? Um, you have the Sixers that got bigger, but did they really get a ton better? And, and I don't know, just from, from head to toe, it feels like there's a lot of changes in the East, but it's hard to predict what's really going to be made of them. Yeah, there's, there's so many question marks. It feels like a lot more question marks with the top East teams, if you can even figure out who those are. Right. Uh, then like the West, the West seems like there's like some definite like five to six teams that are going to be really really good. In the East, it's unsure. Yeah, like I think past the Bucks and the Sixers. After that, I have no idea. Yeah, it's just kind of a jumbled mess. That if some overachieve, they'll finish high, and if some underachieve, they may not even make the playoffs. So, gonna be real interesting to see. Um, I thought I'll go through who I have as my one through 16, and then I'd love to get your thoughts and, and comments on each one as, as we go, if that works for you. Sounds good. So number one, and I have a feeling you'll agree with me, uh, the team that really stayed the most consistent, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, I have at the top there. Um, obviously losing Brogdon um, could end up to haunt them a little bit, but I think they did enough this offseason to patch that up that uh, I don't see anybody passing them for that top seed, especially in the regular season. Yeah, I don't either. I think the the only team that could challenge them is probably your number two, and that just depends on how well that giant lineup works. Yep, yeah, you, you read my mind because, yep, two definitely have the Sixers, and obviously Horford is a winning player, but I'm going to need to see that, that Horford and Bede uh, duo together for you know quite a few games before I'm really convinced about it. <laughs> yeah, I'm really fascinated. Just That team's just so huge. I'm really fascinated how it's going to work. Yeah, I mean, you think of like Tobias Harris, I guess, is now your starting small forward when he's been playing the four or so often these past few years. Just very interesting to see how that's all going to come together. Yeah, it'll be interesting when they face a team that plays smaller, like how they match up and how if their if their advantage wins over the the speed advantage, I guess. Yeah, it'll well, be really fascinating to see. What do you think about the loss of Jimmy Butler there? I mean, is that going to hurt them a ton? Was he more of a distraction? I felt like he it was kind of a weird fit with him, but obviously he's a very talented player. I'm curious to your thoughts there. Uh, I, don't, I don't think it's going to hurt him too much. Uh, I mean, Josh Richardson's really good. They got a good player out of right. that. And then getting Horford is who's probably the best guy for defending Embiid. Even just getting rid of that threat is going to help them. Yeah. Yeah, I would definitely agree there, and, and you're right, Richardson's a heck of a player. Um, so after the Bucks and the Sixers, like you said, Derek, this is where it just gets super hard to predict. Um, but third, I decided to put the Celtics, 
And I feel like that is sort of leaning on what we saw out of them uh, two years ago, not this past year, but but the year obviously that Kyrie and Gordon were, were both hurt for most of the year. Um, and then just thinking that, you know, if they can have that chemistry and then if Kemba can fit super well, I could see them being the third best team in the East. Uh, what, what do you think there? I think after two, I think you can make a case for about anybody. <laughs> it's so true. Honestly. Yeah. I think the Celtics are another one that's going to be interesting because I think that losing Horford is going to hurt them. That's true. Um, uh, like, I think their, their front court, or mainly their banks, like, I'm not sure how that's going to work out. That, that's a great point. And, like, one thing I was reading not too long ago was, I mean, if you have Kemba and Cantor trying to defend the pick and roll, I mean, you're, you're in big trouble. Teams are going to be scoring against that, you know, like crazy. They're going to be able to find a lot of weaknesses to exploit there. So it'll be interesting to see what Brad Stevens puts together with, with some of those new faces. Yeah. I mean, Stevens made it work with Isaiah Thomas playing point guard. They still had a decent defense. So I, I guess true. it's hard to, hard to be too concerned about that. But definitely <laughs> Cantor, that's not going to help anything. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, fourth, and, and this was hard for me. I kind of debated between two, but I actually did put the Raptors fourth. Um, and I'll just say fourth and fifth together. I put the Pacers fifth solely because of all the new faces and with Oladipo being out the first half of the year. Obviously, if they had a fully healthy Oladipo, I could see the Pacers as high as third as well. Um, but I have Raptors four, Pacers five for now. I think that's probably fair. Uh, I'm not as I feel like I'm not as optimistic as a lot of Pacers guys for this year. Yeah. Just because I think Oladipo makes that whole ship run still, and we don't know how long he's going to be out. Don't know if he'll be 100 percent when he does come back. Is it going to take a whole year before he's himself again? Yeah. There's a lot of question marks with the Pacers, and then before he comes back, we got the whole turn and Sabonis. Is that actually going to work? Um, is anybody like is can Brogdon be a point guard and run the offense? We don't know. Like, there's just a lot. There's a lot of questions. I think the Pacers could finish anywhere from third to sixth. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense, and. Um, the other thing, too, to, to consider is, I mean, you look at last year's team, and obviously Oladipo is going to be out for you know a considerable amount of time. You have Bogdanovich, who shouldered the scoring load um, after Oladipo went down. He's now gone. Um, Thad Young, who wasn't you know the leading scorer or anything, but definitely was a big part of being the heart and soul of that team, um, he's gone as well. There could be a really big you know um, adaptation period for the Pacers when the season first gets underway. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of unfamiliarity. I think that the good thing about the Pacers is while they might not be set up for this year, the, like we talked about in the uh, bogey section, like they're all set up on the same timeline. Right. So even if I think this year might not go well, but I'm really excited about like them starting in 2020, 2021. Yeah, that makes sense. One thing I know we have the whole rest of the conference to get through, but just one other question I had for you, Derek, and I, I honestly am torn. I don't really have a very good answer for this. That's why I wanted to get your thoughts. How are you feeling about T.J. Warren? Are you optimistic for him with the Pacers, or do you feel like he was more just a high scorer on a bad team with the Suns? I'm optimistic about him. I think the, he has the same defense concerns that I had for Bogey when he came to Indiana. Okay. So I'm hoping that being on a good team and him knowing that it's a priority, that that makes him play at least adequate defense. Right. Um, but I'm, ex- I'm excited about T.J. Warren. I think he has a... I think he's kind of similar to Bogey in some ways. Like, he's not a good passer, mainly scores the ball. They just score it in different ways. But I'm excited to see how that works out. That's cool. That's great. 
All right, moving on. Um, next, I have the Nets. Um, obviously, six may seem a little low, um, but but until Kevin Durant's healthy, this team's not going to be as good as it eventually will be, probably. But I just look at Kyrie, and I'm just I'm just still not sold that he can he can be a positive on a team as the number one option. So they're going to be really fascinating to watch this year, I think. Yeah, yeah, because that was such a fun team last year. Like they had so much good chemistry, but we saw what the like the Celtics seemed like they had a great chemistry without Kyrie and then last year was such a mess right so that'll definitely be interesting yeah because I, I love guys like Dinwiddie and Karis LeVert and uh and Jared Allen like I, I feel like the Nets have some really promising guys and I just hope this whole thing doesn't mess it up it, it could be really interesting to see mm-hmm. um yeah, I built this built this nice culture yeah it'll be interesting if the talent outweighs the some maybe some of the negatives that Kyrie brings in the locker room yeah definitely um, then rounding out the last two playoff spots, again, this just gets extremely hard. But I think the Heat are going to find a way to be number seven. I just think with Eric Spolster and Jimmy Butler, um, they'll figure out a way to at least make the playoffs in, in the East. Then I have the Magic um, coming in at eighth. I think they'll be good enough to get in again, but I just feel like they didn't get much better this past year. Then I have the Pistons, who made it last year. I think they'll find themselves just barely on the outside looking in. Again, I, I didn't see a ton of exciting improvement there. So that's what I have for that seven, eight, and nine spot. so hard to call like, yeah because like you said i think you're probably right that like jimmy butler and spolstra just with how hard the heat typically work that that'll be enough with having jimmy butler now right um but yeah past that it is yep and honestly i feel the same way for the rest of the conference so i'll, I'll give my picks here but it's really just kind of going out on a limb um, I love the direction the Hawks are taking, and, and if that young team can overachieve, I think they could be the, the next team to, to miss the playoffs still, but that would be number 10. And then rounding out the bottom, I just have Wizards, Bulls, Cavs, Knicks, and I, I think the Hornets could very well be the worst team in the league. I wasn't huge on the Terry Rozier addition, especially what they paid him, and obviously losing Kemba, who's been both there you know, from a talent level and from like an emotional leader level, the, the best player on their team by a long shot. I think they're going to have a hard time bouncing back. Yeah, I, I agree 100% on the Hornets. But, yeah, Rozier paying him that much money and losing Kimba. And, like, they're just, like, in cap purgatory for another three years with all those terrible contracts that yep. they signed. Yep. It's, it would not be fun to be a Hornets fan right now. Yeah, definitely challenging. And the one that I may have too low, I guess we'll see, is is the Bulls. Um, I actually liked, obviously, they got Thad Young. And, and Sadoransky, I think, helps them with the kind of a hole they had it. Um, at the point guard position, but I don't know. I think it's still too early to think that they have enough talent overall to make a big jump. Yeah, I think yeah, it could be interesting. So like, I, obviously, I love Thad Young, and I really liked Sadoransky. I was hoping the Pacers would try to uh, grab him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just a question mark of can those other players do it? Uh, is it is it enough to challenge for a playoff spot? Maybe in the East. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, though, those last, I feel like there's five teams, maybe six if you count the Nets, that you can really count on being playoff teams in the East. Um, but then from there, it's just, it's anybody's guess. It's all about who overachieves and who underachieves. And I guess we'll start finding out here in, in a couple months. <laughs> yep. Awesome. That's the problem when they're bad teams anyway. It's yeah. Hard to- it's hard to decide who deserves a playoff spot. Yeah, which it's kind of funny because in contrast, you look at the West, and I feel like there's going to be two or three teams in the West that probably deserve to be in the playoffs and aren't going to make it. 
And then in the East, yep. you're going to have those bottom, you know, three teams that probably don't deserve to be in it. But that's just the way of the league right now. No, yeah, feels like it's been that for been like that for I don't even know how long. Yeah, as long as I can remember now. It <laughs> seems like eventually they have to go to just get rid of the conferences for the playoff seating. Yeah. One thing that I think's underrated in that conversation is that like West teams that should have made the playoffs are getting lottery picks, so they're getting even better yeah. every year. And all those East teams that make the playoffs are picking even lower than they probably should be. So they're not getting as bad, as much better, potentially. Obviously, the draft's a bit of a, like, you have to pick well for it to work. But right. I think that's an underrated part of this. Like, the, those teams are keep getting a little bit higher draft picks, so they keep getting a little bit better. Like, the Nuggets were, like, right on the edge for so long, but they kept nailing those lottery picks at the end. And then now they're one of the top teams. That, that's actually a really good way to look at it. I hadn't thought of it before because you're right. It's kind of almost in a way like the rich get richer. They were a really good team. It's not quite good enough for the playoffs in the West, but they're bulking up, whereas some of these kind of middle-of-the-pack East teams are staying middle-of-the-pack forever. That, that's a really interesting way to look at it. Yeah, it's just something I've always thought about. Like, it's not that big. Like, it's only three picks, but, like, that can make a difference over time. Yeah, yeah, definitely so. Well, cool. Well, well, fun to dive in through those different teams in the East. Uh, it'd be a really exciting thing to keep an eye on. Let's go ahead and wrap things up today with our third point. We'll talk a little bit about Team USA and, and what we thought about them in FIBA play thus far. Point three. Okay, so obviously to kick off the show, um, you know, Derek and I talked about how, you know, we're glad that football is in action because it kind of helps us get through until basketball starts. Um, also, for those of you that haven't been following too closely, we do have the FIBA World Cup going on. Um, it can be a little tough to follow just because the games are so early our time. Obviously, that, that tournament's being played in China. But still, it's been fun to watch some of these young NBA players, specifically for us, Donovan Mitchell of the Jazz and Miles Turner of the Pacers, um, play with Team USA. And I guess my initial question for you, Derek, is, you know, based on what you've seen, whether it's a lot or a little, um, just what have been your overall thoughts so far on, on Team USA um, in FIBA play and the games leading up to it? And I think considering, like, they're probably using the fourth, fifth options at every position <laughs> at best, that it's going as well as it could be. Obviously, you don't want to be almost losing to Turkey. Yeah. But I it's going to be really interesting how they do in the like once we get into the, the tournament, which I think is starting soon. Yeah, yeah. So tomorrow they finish up group play. Uh, Team USA does against Brazil. The other side of the brackets finished it up. So then That's I right. guess on uh, what day is it? So, so on Tuesday is when the, the, the first round of quarterfinals get underway. But, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see there. Um, I agree with you 100%, Derek, and I feel like – if you were to, I mean, you look at all the players that Team USA doesn't have, like uh, Damian Lillard, James Harden, like Kyrie Irving, like you go on and on, all these players we don't have. And if you were to go to any other team in the world and take away their top 10 to 15 players, like it wouldn't even be close. So it's a pretty cool testament that even with us using, like you said, like our fourth and fifth best players at each position, that, that we're still being, you know, as strong as we are and really still are considered the favorites despite some setbacks up to this point. Yeah. All right. Do we, are we considered the favorites, or is Serbia the favorite now? Well, I mean, <laughs> that's a good argument. Although Serbia did lose this morning to Spain, so now they have some question marks facing them too. But um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that pans out. I guess. I hadn't seen that yet today, so that's interesting because I know they had been like just destroying everyone, but that was probably the first good team they faced. Yeah, I was I was actually looking at it just a second ago because I was I was working on an article for the J Notes because um, Ricky Rubio had a really good game in that one, so doing a little, you know, jazz alumni piece. And it was surprising to me to look back and, and really the only decent team Serbia has played is Italy. 
And they did beat them by, I think, 15 or so. But everybody else they played, yeah, they decimated them, but they were just not really anyone you'd expect to be competitive. So um, I don't know, though. But it also could be a bad thing because maybe now Serbia's been humbled and they're going to up their game for the rest of the tournament. We'll see. It's going to be interesting to see because they're still in it, obviously. Um, but right. they, they did lose in that group play to, to Spain. That's what I kind of thought might happen with the USA playing Turkey, is that if they lost, maybe that would kind of kick them into gear. Of course, I don't think they're not... I think they're playing as hard as they can. They're just not familiar with each other and the fourth and fifth options like we talked about. Yeah, and that game against Turkey was really bizarre. I mean, I felt like it was extremely physical. There weren't really whistles blowing either way, and it almost looked like Team USA just got overwhelmed and made a lot of like dumb mistakes. The ball movement wasn't good. And I don't know. I mean, obviously, there's no excuse. They should have beat Turkey by more than, you know, one point in, in, in overtime. Uh, but it was still just a funky game to watch. Yeah, it feels like the, like the, the team just feels disjointed a lot of times. And it, it's just they're, they barely played together. Yeah. Yep. Um, one thing I wanted to check with you is, um, you know, obviously, Miles Turner has had a huge role as, as the starting center and really one of the more reliable front court pieces Team USA has, which um, is both, you know, praise for Turner and an indication of, you know, just how few players they have this year that are usually up to the usual talent level. But what have you been your thoughts on Miles Turner so far in, in FIBA play? No, I think he's done exactly what he's been asked to do. He's not, he doesn't have a huge role in the offense. They're more perimeter-oriented for the most part, um, which is probably for the best. He's not going to be the, the top offensive guy on the floor. Um, he's made a few nice plays in the post, which is nice to see. Um, made a few jump shots, does what he's supposed to do. Um, blocking shots at the rim, protecting it, all that stuff. Like he's, he's doing exactly what he's supposed to do. Um, yeah, obviously he's been a, like they, they either play him or most of the time they're going small if he's not on the court. So he's kind of like their only center option that's really played well. Yeah. Which I mean, he's going to be so important against, you know, like the Marcus Souls of the world, the Nikola Jokic's of the world. So I think he'll be tested. I think I think it'll be good for him and, and for Team USA. Yeah, that'll be the big question. Like if they get to face Serbia and if they get to face Spain, like how they do against those teams that have really big guys. Yeah. And Turner's a great defender, but he can be overpowered at times. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, along the, the jazz side of things, I feel like, um, for me, the only real question mark I've had with Donovan Mitchell is is the same one that um, you could say about him through his first two years in the NBA, which is just efficiency, you know, still questions of shot selection and things like that. Uh, but overall, except for the game in Turkey where, where he and really the whole team struggled, uh, I feel like Mitchell's done pretty well. Um, oddly enough, as, as inefficient as like I feel like he's been, I checked his stats and he's actually shooting about 35% from three, which isn't terrible. I mean, it's not good, but it's not terrible, all things considered. So um, I was hoping to see a little bit more efficiency out of him, but I think Jazz fans will be glad to know that he's definitely showed a lot better like playmaking ability. Um, he's definitely you know getting, getting his teammates set up, and, and so there's been some bright points there for sure. Um, one question I had for you, Derek, and feel free to chime on that as well, but ignoring FIBA play, um, I'm just curious because lately on Twitter there's been a lot of banter between Jazz fans and um, fans of other teams about Donovan Mitchell. And I'm just curious that, you know, I feel like it's pretty common that, like, if a player's on your team, you're going to be, you're going to overrate him. If he's not on your team, you're going to underrate him. <laughs> but I'm just curious what your thoughts are as a whole about Donovan Mitchell. I really like Donovan Mitchell. Um, I haven't watched him a ton, so it's hard for me to give, like, a fully fleshed out opinion right um i I think i definitely agree like the efficiency is the question 
can get more efficient being that top guy. I think this year will be really interesting when he has like another backcourt partner that's that can do a lot of things on offense. So I think this year would be the year you want to see him be more efficient. Yeah. Um, but I think I think he's great. I don't have any like I haven't seen obviously I'm not on the Jazz Twitter and everything, so I don't right. see that. <laughs> seen all those back and forth but no I have no problems with uh, Mitchell I don't, I'm not going to criticize him or anything <laughs> that's cool that's good to hear and I feel like like I can see where some of the criticisms come from with him but I, I in trying to be objective and take off my jazz fan glasses you know like I feel like it's just hard to dislike the, a guy that goes out and plays as hard as he does has taken on a mantle as big as he's had to on a jazz team that hasn't had much offensive options like it's, it's pretty impressive what he's done and hopefully he can just take that that next leap is what I'd say yeah, and he's still so young. Right. Like, it doesn't seem like he's only, because he's only entering his third year, right? Yep, uh-huh. Like, it doesn't feel like he's done so much already. It doesn't feel like he's only going into his third year. So it's hard for me to criticize him too much when he's still on his rig contract and he's already been a number one scoring option for a playoff team. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And the one thing I'd say, you know, dialing back here into FIBA to wrap up here real fast is, I feel like like as fun as it is to watch these guys play in international play and in FIBA, like a lot of what you see, both the positive and the negative, um, you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt because um, like obviously it's so much different from what they're going to be playing like when they're actually back on their NBA teams. I mean, for one thing, it's a team full of guys that are, you know, having to adapt to a totally different role. Um, like you look at the stats and like Kemba's a leading scorer with 14.2 points a game. And, like, by NBA standards, 42 points is not anything impressive. But we all know what Kemba's, like, actually capable of. So it's just kind of a weird situation, weird scenarios. And I think you got to take the good that you see from, like, a Mitchell and, like, a Turner and, and be excited about how they'll be able to adapt and improve that back in the NBA and not get too caught up in some of the negatives that people might bring up. Yeah, I agree. I think you just kind of take away take away some of the positives. So obviously you want to see them improve at certain things. But, you know, the, game, the FIBA game is so different then it's hard to know how much of this is going to really translate, especially for guys like Kimbo, like he's been playing in the league forever. So like we already know what he is in the NBA. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. And there was, I was reading an article um, on the athletic uh, by, I think his name is Joe Varden. who has been covering team USA over there. And he said something along the line, the quote that was in that article was something along the lines of like, it's the same sport, but it's a different game. So I think just keeping that in mind that, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy they're thrown into this whole different aspect and it's gonna there's gonna be some weird um, adjustments that have to be made and some oddities and you can't just look at, at the at the FIBA play and NBA play as being equal because they're definitely not. Yeah, 100%. Perfect. Well, that's all I had in mind today and, and uh, definitely appreciate you joining the show, Derek. It was awesome chatting with you. I appreciate you having me. And uh, thanks a ton for all your insight on Bogdanovich. I, I know Jazz fans are gonna love him and be excited to have him on. And uh, I'll be pulling for the Pacers as well for you, man. I hope it's a great year. <laughs> thanks, yeah. I'll be rooting for the Jazz, too. <laughs> there we go. Well, with that said, everyone, thanks for tuning in and listening. Um, if you're not already, make sure you give um, the J Notes a follow at the J Notes. Also, feel free to go over and, and uh, give a follow to at iPacers blog. Like I said, Derek Kramer does great work over there. Lots of cool stuff to read. And um, until next time, everyone, we'll be, uh, we'll be looking forward to a good Jazz season and a good Pacers season ahead.